0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Are you wondering, really, how much are these test-optional statements coming from colleges really valid? Are they really not paying mind to whether or not your child is submitting his or her SAT or ACT test scores into their colleges? Well, today we bring to you Dr. Kelly Frindell. She's the owner and founder of In-House Test Prep. She's going to talk to us about what she does, how she provides support to students and families with a specific focus on does submitting your SATs and ACTs really matter? Thank you very much, Dr. Friendel, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. Tell us a bit about what it is that your company does. Sure. So I teach
2: test prep for a couple of different tests. I do SAT and ACT for high school students, and then also another set of tests called SSAT and ISEE for younger students who are looking to get into private schools or boarding schools. And what I do is I help students decide which tests they should be taking, and then help them prepare for them. And about half of my clients do have some kind of learning difference or anxiety issues, or dyslexia, or ADHD. And so I work with a lot of students who have, have issues that are different than perhaps other students.
1: Great. And so how do you find the um, involvement within the families and the children?
2: In terms of what families need to do? Yes,
1: what do they need to do during this process with you?
2: Got it. So typically when a family comes to me, what I usually do is sit down with both the parents and the student, and we have a long conversation about the student's academic history, what their goals are, what they're wanting to do, any differences that they have, any diagnoses, and we come up with a plan of what we want to do. And for students who are taking the SAT or the ACT, they can choose which test that they wanna take. And it used to be in the past that some schools only accepted the SAT and some only accepted ACT, but that's changed. And the schools that are still taking scores will take either one, so it doesn't matter. And what I typically would do with students is before we get started preparing is I have them take a practice test an SAT and an ACT. And sometimes it's very clear from the results that this test versus that test is going to be an easier one to prepare for, but sometimes it's not all that clear. And when that's the case, usually I'll have a conversation with the student, see what they think about it. Sometimes they know right away, I hated this test and I liked this test, or I am never doing that one again. (laughs) And sometimes it also comes down to factors like something as mundane as scheduling of when tests fit around sports and academics and music and their extracurriculars. And once we decide what tests they're going to take, then we can pick a test date and make sure we're preparing up towards that test date. And with the families, with with my high school students, it's important to me that they start working on their autonomy and being able to take care of the things that they need to do. So I do let them have the freedom to make decisions about what they're going to do with their prep and how they're going to do it. But the families are also important too, because they do need to have some oversight to make sure things are getting done. And I usually let students try it out. And if they're struggling, then I will get their families involved. But I do usually like to give the students a chance to do it because at 16 and 17, if you're heading to college soon, those are skills you need anyway. And I feel like that's as important a skill as the test prep itself.
1: Absolutely. That independence, that being able to organize and focus, really will not only prepare them for the best that they can do on one of these tests, but also in life, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. When working with children who have learning differences, um, can you describe to us what your approach might be? If, If there is a child that is feeling really anxious, but knows that this is in their best interest to pursue this goal of taking one of these tests, or maybe even both, how do you handle that?
2: So the first thing that I usually do with the students is really talk to them about what these tests mean and what they don't mean. Because I think kids have an idea that the SAT and ACT or IQ tests that they say how smart someone is, or that it says how they're going to do in the future, or what it means about them as a person, or if they're going to be successful in life, or if they're going to end up on the street and homeless and never have a job. And kids get really wrapped up in that. And that's the messages they've been hearing for years of, oh, these tests are so important, so important, and it's been in the cultural uh, world that everybody knows. You take the SAT or you take the ACT, and it's a big deal. And it is a big deal. They are important tests. But what I really try to stress with my students is that they aren't IQ tests, and really all they measure is how well you did on this set of skills on this particular day. And that's it. That's all it says about you. It doesn't say if you're a good person, doesn't say if you're a bad person doesn't say what's going to happen in the future. It's just information. And a lot of times my students have really never heard that from anybody because they have just been getting the message. It's the most important thing and nothing else matters. And it's really not true. And once they understand that, sometimes that just knowing that frees them up a little bit to say, okay, this is something that's important. I can work hard on it, but it's also not an indicator of who I am as a person. And so I, I really focus on that. And then, Individually with my students, I really try to take into account people's strengths and weaknesses and the tests do test certain things and there are sometimes uh, learning differences that are going to make the tests difficult to do in certain degrees. Sometimes there are ways to work around that. I'm always interested in finding ways, okay, well, if you don't do it this way, maybe you can go kind of around this way and do something else. But some of it is also picking out which questions you're likely to get right and where you're likely to have success. And that's always a balance for all of my students because you want to focus on the things that are people's weaknesses, but you also want to focus on the place where you're likely to get more points back. And sometimes half a test prep is just saying, you're probably never gonna get this question and there's nothing wrong with that. And you are gonna put an answer for that and you're gonna move on and do other things. Mm-hmm. And that's true for virtually every student who's not trying to get a perfect score. Everybody else has to make decisions about what to answer. And that's what we spend a lot of time on. Of This probably isn't worth it, but you definitely can learn this or you can adapt to this or you can accommodate, go grab those ones instead.
1: Right, right. Great advice, really, really great advice. So tell us now the truth, unveil the truth. (laughs) Are colleges really concerned? Are they really looking for these SAT and ACT test scores? That is a tricky question to
2: answer because the landscape has changed tremendously over the last few years. And I don't deal with the admission side of things, but I've been talking with a lot of educational consultants who do. And from talking with them, here's what I understand about it. In the past, pre-COVID, everything was very different. And there were some schools that were what's called test optional. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You get to decide whether you want to submit your scores or not. And once COVID hit, that first year of COVID, all the tests got canceled overnight. And there were no tests that were held for about six or seven months. And that first year, almost every school except for a few of them, I think Florida never went to test optional, but everything else, everybody else said, okay, you don't have to submit scores because there was no way to do that fairly because a lot of people couldn't take a test. Some of the schools at the time said, we're gonna do a three-year experiment where we're gonna go test optional for the next couple of years and see what happens. Some of the schools reverted back to their regular admissions policies and some schools just dropped the test altogether. And we're getting towards the end of that three-year period, and so things are getting a little murkier about what this test-optional, quote, test-optional really means. And it's likely the schools that were test-optional before COVID, they mean it, that you can really choose to submit or not. Some of the schools that changed, some of them mean it, but some of them, it turns out, don't actually really mean it. And it's kind of like a wink and a nod of, quote, test-optional with an asterisk, we really want you to do it. Right, Um, how does a parent know? it, it, It is difficult to tell. There is data that's starting to come out and some of that may not be available publicly, but I've started to see some data from schools that show the breakdown of their admissions. And for a lot of schools, The percentage of people who are admitted with test scores is significantly higher than the percentage of people admitted without test scores. And so it does make it very difficult to decide what to do as a parent and as a child of whether you should submit scores or not. And from what I've been hearing from the consultants that I've spoken with, if your child is in about the 50th percentile range or above for a school's scores, it's probably worth it to go ahead and send their scores. If they are significantly below that level, it you likely will not want to submit them in that case. But what I'm finding is happening is a lot of parents are coming to me and they're like, well everything's test and, uh, excuse me, everything is test optional. So what's the point? Why should we do this? We're just not going to. And I see a lot of my students who are the same way, they're like, well, I'm just not going to have test scores. And test optional doesn't mean you you just don't have to do it it means make the best decision for your situation and circumstance
1: sure and i think some of that those characteristics of those circumstances and vari- uh, variables could be whether or not the child does have test anxiety mm-hmm. you know whether or not they are performing really high grades in in class and in school and their gpa has been really strong but maybe they are under pressure and they don't take that test well. Well, then there's a decision to be made with the parent, right? Whether right. or not they decide to take it. But because parents remember what Dr. Friendell here is, is telling us is that really, if you take the test, and I experienced this actually with my own son, who's now a freshman in college, and uh, he took both tests and he decided, you know, what to submit. And they, you have that choice now of whether or not those scores are high enough. Um and Dr. Friendell, you said uh if the scores are about 50% uh performance mm-hmm. rate to right. submit, right?
2: Yeah, then then you probably should. And if it it doesn't have to be exactly 50th and above, but if you're pretty close and that information is publicly available if you just Google the name of your school that you're interested in and say ACT scores or SAT scores, you'll find a range that that will come up pretty easily and right. to give you a sense of what to do. And often what I recommend to people if they're not sure if they should do test prep or not, or they should take the test, an easy way to decide or at least have some information is to take a practice test. And there are practice tests available online as well if you type in free practice ACT test or SAT test, you can find all kinds of resources for those. And having your child take one of those tests at the beginning just to try it. And they don't have to go take it officially. There's no reason to, to do all of that. But a, a practice test will give you a general sense of where your your child is starting. And if it, if they're scoring very, very low, then it may not be worth it to pursue it. But if their score is decent or kind of in the middle, it probably is worth looking into it at least because my, my view on things is it's always better to have something and not need it than to need it and be scrambling. Because I had some students are like, I'm not going to take tests. And then they got to their senior year and they found a school they didn't know about and they needed a test. And now it's four weeks before the test. It's the last one they can take of their senior year and they're scrambling. And it, it's hard to prepare for a test in four weeks. And so leaving yourself the option of having a decent test score, if you need it, you have it. And if you don't need it, then no harm, no foul, right. you don't submit it. And sometimes people are reluctant to do test prep because they're like, oh, well, if I don't use these scores, then that was wasted time. But the thing is with test prep, there are things that are specific to tests, like the tricks and the tips that people talk about. And that when people say, oh, you're just teaching to the test, that's what i think that's what they're talking about there are things like that but the rest of test prep is working on skills that students need it's math it's reading it's writing it's grammar they need to know that stuff and so and especially with covid a lot of people missed so much school right. that i'm finding my students are have glaring gaps in their yes. math and their writing and their reading and it's nobody's fault it's just the circumstance of what happened but those gaps are there and they're real and spending time to improve those things especially as you're heading into college never hurts either
1: so when would you recommend that somebody hires yourself or someone who is helping with the support of test prep especially with this gap now yes so
2: typically i hear from parents towards the end of sophomore year or the summer before junior year and that's a good time to start thinking about it because that gives plenty of time to take practice tests to do some preparation take a real test take another test if you need to and most students do end up taking a test more than once and um Once you do that, then that leaves you, it does leave you enough time to to get done before your senior year, because ideally you want all of testing done before senior year starts, because senior year is hectic in terms of you've got school, you might be going to visit colleges, you're working on applications, and you can take a test into about September or October of your senior year but it's a pain to do it and so I try to advise my students if you can be done by that summer a senior before senior year which usually means starting sometime in junior year
1: okay yes I I have to tell you you are 1000 percent correct I could not keep up with my son's schedule at all thank goodness he he would have different color coded schedules for himself in his phone so he would know how much time to spend how much time he had to go from one place to another, Mm -hmm. what kind of gala, what kind of prom, who else's prom, you know, and like you said, with the essays and, uh, you know, the the applications and the early decisions or not early decisions and so much is involved Mm -hmm. in that 12th grade year. So if you're a parent and you're listening right now, start thinking about whether or not your child um, would benefit from test prep if they are in their sophomore year. Talk to us about accommodations. What types of accommodations have you seen on the SAT and ACT exams?
2: Yes, so both tests do have a number of accommodations for students with different learning differences. And one of the major ones is extended time. And this is really helpful for people who have slower processing speeds, if they have dyslexia, um, just if their working speed is a little bit slower. And with the typical time accommodation is time and a half. And so if a section is 30 minutes, you now have 45 minutes to work on it. There are some other accommodations. Occasionally they will give double time for a section. And when that happens, typically they split up the testing over multiple days. So like for the ACT. It has four sections on it, and when they do double time, you generally take one section per day because if you did double time on a three-hour test, six hours is a really long time to take a test, and so sometimes multiple days, sometimes extended time, and then there are also other accommodations that can be used as well. On the SAT, occasionally, there is a no calculator section on the SAT. Occasionally, they will grant use of a calculator if somebody's got a math learning disability type of issue. Um, There were also other accommodations like being able to use larger bubble sheets, the Scantron sheets with the little bubbles. Some people have difficulty filling those in with the very small bubbles, so you can use a larger bubble sheet. Occasionally, you can get an accommodation to just be able to circle the answer in the test booklet if it is difficult to fill in those circles occasionally people have gotten a reader where somebody actually reads some of the material and it is all very dependent on what people's diagnoses are and what they have written in their plans if they have a 504 plan and so but the the extended time is probably the most common accommodation
1: great is there any last words or advice that you would be able to give parents and their kids
2: I would say start early, not too early though. I have some people call me sometimes in eighth or ninth grade and they say, I want to start preparing for SAT. And I say, no, call me back in two years. It's too early, (laughs) but there are things that you can be doing along the way. And one thing that I really see is that a lot of the rote skills are really missing. So my kids don't know their times tables. They don't know how to do long division. They don't know what a noun is. They don't know what a verb is and they have difficulty reading. And so making sure that you're keeping up with those skills, along the way through middle school and early high school is going to be really important too. And then I would also say, don't be afraid of the accommodations either, because I have some students who come to me or their parents and they're like, well, we don't want to use accommodations because we feel like there's a stigma for them or we're worried about what the college will think or something. They have a whole story about it. And it used to be in the past that tests with accommodations were flagged but they are no longer flagged so the college won't know if your child has received an accommodation and if they qualify for an accommodation there's no reason not to use it that's what it's there for and sometimes i hear from parents they're like well i feel like i'm gaming the system or i'm doing this and if your child qualifies for it they qualify they're, that's not a game it's not a trick whatever use use whatever resources you can um and and starting early too, gives you some time. If you do need to investigate, if there's something going on, that gives you time to do it. Cause I do have families come to me and they say, well, I suspect my, my child might have dyslexia. Or they might have ADHD, but we've never tested and we don't really know. And usually I tell them if you have a suspicion Go get tested and see because if there's something going on, even if you don't name it, it's still there, and you might as well at least know so you can do something about it. And um, by starting early, it gives you plenty of time to do that if you need to.
1: Great. Well, Dr. Prindle, thank you so very much. How do people get in touch with you? Um, they can visit my website. My business is called In House Test Prep,
2: and my website is www. That was a lot of w's. <laughs> www <laughs> dot in-house, I-N-H-O-U-S-E, test prep, all one word. So inhousetestprep.com.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us today. And we wish you a wonderful year ahead. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com. Amazon, and TeachersPayTeachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.